folks. Welcome back. We continue to make history here. This is our second ever episode of WVU Reads. I'm your host, Jeff Hilsebeck. Those of you who tuned in last week know that the podcast is about this year's campus read, Educated, by Tara Westover. And you also know that each week I'll bring in someone from around campus to help us think through a different theme from the book. I'm very excited because this morning we have Marion Holmes in the studio. Marion is the director of Adventure West Virginia, which is, I think, one of the most exciting organizations on campus. In fact, I feel like if you wanted to bottle up the spirit of WVU, Adventure would be a good place to go. This week we're talking about mountains, which is why I've asked Marion to join us. We're going to talk about living in and among mountains and about the wisdom that mountains have to offer us. But before I get to my conversation with Marion Holmes, I wanted to share a quote from one of my favorite writers, the philosopher Maxine Green. Maxine Green was the founder and director of the Center for Social Imagination and the William F. Russell Professor of the Foundations of Education at Teachers College, Columbia University. She's also an intellectual hero of mine. I can't remember how I first came across Green's book of lectures, Variations on a Blue Guitar. What I do remember very clearly is the feeling of reading them. I felt like she was expressing thoughts I had long had, but never developed. Not just that I had never developed them, I'd never taken them seriously, and she took them very seriously. Perhaps you've had a similar experience. Maybe you have also stumbled across a book that becomes a touchstone in your life, a book that seems to have shaped your thinking almost before you've read it. So the quote, Green writes, We are interested in releasing diverse persons from confinement to the actual, particularly confinement to the world of techniques and skill training, to fixed categories and measurable competencies. We are interested in breakthroughs and new beginnings in the kind of wide awakeness that allows for wonder and unease and questioning and the pursuit of what is not yet. That's the spirit in which I approached my conversation with Marion Holmes, the spirit of a reader ready for wonder, unease, questioning, and most of all, the pursuit of what is not yet. Hi, Marion. So, uh, and it, Marion. Marion. That's how you pronounce it. Right? Yep. Okay. Or awesome, but it's like non-traditional. Oh, that's what you go by. <laughs> no, it's not. Friends. <laughs> no, it's not. Nope. I thought before we get into Westover's book, uh, maybe you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Adventure West Virginia. My name is Marion Holmes. I'm the director of Adventure West Virginia here at WVU. We are a division of student life. We do a lot of things. I think people know us most for our first year trips program. So we work with about a thousand incoming freshmen during the summer before their first year, a handful of transfer students as well. We take them all over the state, five or six day programs, variety of different activities. People can really choose their level of adventure. But what we have in common with all the trips is that they're peer led with highly trained peer leaders. When we focus on building connections with each other, so they have really strong social bonds and a strong sense of belongingness by the time they start their freshman year. Also learn a lot about the university and a lot about the state and have a lot of fun. So that's the biggest thing that we do probably. But we also operate our outdoor education center, which is up in Cooper's Rock, kind of across the road from Cooper's Rock State Forest in the University Research Forest. We're the only university with a zipline canopy tour. We also have a low ropes course and two high ropes courses, and we operate a conference facility there. 
So we work with a lot of WVU groups there, so groups that are doing group development. I dislike the word team building, but I'll say it anyways because people know that word, but people don't like that word. So I say like uh, communication, uh, group development, things like that. We work with a lot of WVU student groups and professional groups up there. We also work with community groups, schools, and we have kind of open enrollment things on our zipline canopy tour as well. We do your classic university outdoor programming. We have weekend programming, kayaking, backpacking, rock climbing, hiking, things like that, kind of in the local community. And then we have our kind of larger flagship programs. We have international programs. We go to New Zealand. We're piloting our Costa Rica trip this year, which actually our application is due September 8th. Shameless plug. Get that in for this year. That's pretty soon. It is pretty soon. It's because we want to give students enough time to kind of get prepared for the trip. So it's it's soon. It's in a little over a week for that deadline. So if you're considering that, I would uh, hop on the Education Abroad website and look at that pretty soon. We have gone to Patagonia in the past, and we'll probably go again. We're re- reworking that program right now. We also do a lot of uh, domestic programs. We take a bunch of sophomores at the end of their first year here, go out to Utah for two weeks, get a little physical space, distance, really different environment, kind of reflect on their first year. Uh, we go to Florida. We go to Texas. We do all the big things as well. And then we come to you. We do kind of one-hour mobile programs. So any anything from like one hour, we come to you, to three weeks on a different continent. We do it all. Cool. Yeah. Well, I was saying in the introduction that if you wanted to get the spirit of WVU, you could go to Adventure West Virginia. Yes. That would be a good place to to find it. Yeah, I think so. I think that we are, we're adventurous, we're mountaineers, and the kind of push forward, go beyond, I think we, we try to do that and all mm-hmm. we do. And I'm curious about your own relationship to adventure. I mean, obviously you're the director, but mm-hmm. sort of how you came to the organization. Mm-hmm. And even more so, why it matters to you. It is one of those stories where, like, I had a transformative experience, and then I decided that this is the thing that I wanted to do. So actually, I have my undergraduate from Harvard University. I graduated from there in 2006, and I studied the history of science, which is fascinating. It totally changes the way that you view the world. But uh, I did not want to be become a professional historian of science. Um, while I was at Harvard, my first year, I went on Harvard FOP, Harvard First Year Outdoor Program, which is very similar to our first year trips program here. It was a week-long backpacking program in New Hampshire. Had a great time. Applied to be a leader. Led that program for three years, graduated, and kind of thought about uh, what was the most impactful thing that I had done in my undergraduate career, and it was definitely leading FOP. It was leading those small groups of incoming freshmen, and so I wanted to pursue that. So I worked seasonally for a couple years in outdoor education programs in different areas of the country, mostly in California and North Carolina, and then I wanted to get more into program management, so I went back to school at University of New Hampshire, where I studied outdoor education, focusing on outdoor orientation, so I focused my graduate program on the thing that I do now. I actually studied Adventure West Virginia while I was in grad school, so I have some papers out there about it. Finished UNH, they weren't hiring here, so (laughs) I went to University of North Carolina at Charlotte, and I started an outdoor orientation program there. I'd been there for about two and a half years. When they had a position open here, they contacted me, and I've been here for six years and change. Started in like June 2013, so I've actually worked seven summers, which is like a lot of summers, um, but not enough. We're going to keep doing it. Um, So when I started, I was an assistant director, and I just ran the first year trips program. And then uh, I was associate director for a while, and now I am the director, so I oversee all of the things that we do. Uh, As you can maybe tell from my history there, it it matters to me because it is basically what I've been doing since I was 18. I went on Mm -hmm. a program when I was 18, and I have been pursuing high-quality programming since then and just getting more and more people involved. It's actually really meaningful for me to be here at WVU because – a lot of the programs are at places like Harvard. They tend to be at smaller private liberal arts colleges kind of in the Northeast. And I mean, those are great and they serve 
highly motivated, uh, high achieving students, but students that, you know, in one way or another, they're, they're, they're going to be okay. And I love working at WVU because we see such a diverse group of students who come in our programs. It's a, it's a group of students who I would not otherwise get to work with at, you know, 90% of other jobs working in outdoor education. So, and then we have a ton of support from the university. Our programs are highly subsidized. So our summer programs only cost zero or $95 for students. So they cost us about 450 to $500 per student, but because of kind of central allocations, um, they're really, really affordable for students. And that doesn't happen anywhere else. It really is kind of a pay to play kind of thing other places. So the, the ability to be in a place where our programs are so supported centrally and are seen as such an important kind of part of the freshman experience for so many people and to create a community. We actually, we just had a, a banquet last night for our summer staff and, you know, it's not required. Everyone's busy, but, you know, we have 65 of our staff show up and just have a great time together and be, be a part of forming a meaningful community here is, uh, it's pretty special. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, that's a really nice story to hear. Um, and are you from West Virginia? No, I'm from outside of Boston. Okay. So this landscape was new to you when you came here. Yes, I did. I'd spent a lot of time in the mountains growing up. I'm mostly in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, but it's all you know part of up there. We call it Appalachia, but now I've recognized that I say Appalachia, so I think <laughs> I've been in the. I don't know. This is an interesting question for me. From in, from being from Massachusetts, I had thought of West Virginia as the South, but then having lived in North Carolina, I don't actually think of it as the South. It's it's very much Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting to me how my my perception of the state changes kind of based on where I've kind of where I've lived and and I, so that was a tangent but so lots of time in the in the whites um, in New Hampshire and then lots of time in the Appalachians in North Carolina as well so the the rolling hills the landscape the those mountains are, are familiar to me and I've, I've lived in California as well and I've seen and been in like I worked in Spain and the bigger mountains but I the the particular landscape of Appalachia is my favorite mm-hmm. and that the mountains don't get enough credit because they're they're shorter you know we got far four thousand footers but they are they're intense um they've been around they're just you know they're more seasoned that's why they're shorter not mm-hmm. because they're any worse there i think i think they're great and i think you can find challenges here just like any other um or more so than any other place more seasoned more seasoned yeah that's a wonderful way to describe <laughs> yes, them I it love is that. also accurate uh-huh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna write that down <laughs> They are amazing, and they're everywhere. You know, you can't get away from them mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm still getting used to seeing mountains around me. It's just sort of always surprising to make a turn, and all of a sudden there's a, a mountain face right right next to you. I find it surprising when you make a turn, and there's, I guess there's not a rolling hill or a mountain mm-hmm. face. I've driven cross-country a couple of times, a couple of times with adventure, and a couple of times just because that's a thing that you do or the thing that I did apparently, and the, when it becomes completely flat, that's when I become uncomfortable, mm-hmm. when you can see for a long time. I think this, the, the kind of limited, limited vista, having to climb up something to see, to see the next part, that is a much more comfortable environment for me mm-hmm. than the flat. <laughs> Although flat is faster for running. I'm a runner. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, let, maybe we talk about the book a little bit, because yeah. I know you've read it, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I think you have some some, some things to share with us about it. Maybe we could start with the passage. Sure, that'd be great. Could I get you to read the passage? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I want to start just with uh, a passage from the prologue. I'm going to shameless plug the book here. I, I enjoyed reading it, and I, I do think it's worth a read. If you've read it, or if you haven't read it, you should pick it up. It reads fast. I enjoyed it. I had been educated in the rhythms of the mountain, rhythms in which change was never fundamental, only cyclical. 
The same sun appeared every morning, swept over the valley, and dropped behind the peak. The snows that fell in winter always melted in the spring. Our lives were a cycle, a cycle of the day, the cycle of the seasons, circles of perpetual change that, when complete, meant nothing had changed at all. I believe my family was a part of this immortal pattern that we were, in some sense, eternal. But eternity, but eternity belonged only to the mountain. Thank you. It's such beautiful writing. I think some of the best writing in the book is about the landscape that she grows up in. Uh, and here, the mountain is sublime. It's, it's grand, but it's also eternal and terrifying and almost, almost religious. Um, and I was curious because, again, this is totally new for me. I mean, having this kind of relationship to, to the outdoors, is, it's just not a relationship I have, having grown up and lived my whole life in, in and around cities. Is this, was, is this familiar to you, having been on these trips and spent time in the White Mountains and, in the, uh, and down here um, in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, this, this, this feeling of, of an immortal pattern um, and, and, and a kind of eternal feeling that she gets from the mountains. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I would say it does. I would say that my kind of my, my response to that passage, there's, there's sort of two parts of it. There's a bit of the professional adventure West Virginia sense of it, and then there's also some of my personal experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the adventure sense first. So the adventure sense is I think one of the reasons people don't get involved with adventure is this perception that, like, that's what we do. We go to these, like, crazy remote places and you have to be an expert and you have to like be in a North Face ad and it's going to be this like, like there's like sleet everywhere. And um, I, I try to get across to people that, I mean, that's not true. I think it's key to our programs is having a meaningful interaction with the outdoors. Whether that interaction with the outdoors is across the road in the core arboretum or whether that's in Patagonia, kind of doesn't really matter to me. Whatever, whatever kind of pushes your limits, and I, we totally respect and understand that people have different experiences of the outdoors and different relationship with the outdoors. Relationship with the outdoors can be cultural. There's all sorts of factors in that. So if we just get excited about when people have a meaningful, positive interaction like with the outdoors. It doesn't have to be intense like that. Um, well, I guess it kind of I, there's the internal experience and the external experience, and you can have a really intense internal outdoor experience in a place that is a lot more accessible um, than a lot of the places that she's talking about in the book. So, just you know, because I have my uh, my soapbox here, I want to you know make that plug that adventure is adventurous for everybody. It can look different for lots of people, and and we love that, and we try to find the adventures that that suit where you're at. I think personally. Yeah, having been in some more like remote places in the world and uh, kind of experienced what I would say the fact that in in the most positive way possible, the doesn't care about you. It doesn't care if uh, if you're done with the rain. It doesn't care if you want it to be warmer. It doesn't care if you want it to be summer or winter or it was supposed to be summer but it's hailing. It doesn't matter. The the earth, the mother nature, whatever you want to call it, it it's going to do what it does. And it's, if, if you don't want the river to rise because you really want to cross it and you don't want to head back the way you came before, it, it, it doesn't matter. And so I think one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest points of learning is just kind of accepting that, accepting the things that you cannot change. You cannot shape the environment in that way. We've definitely been on trips where this is the plan. We got the route plan. We got, we call it a, a TCP, a time control plan. So like on every day, you know, kind of particularly where you're going to be and what you're going to do and then because of weather or other factors, or whatever it is, you just, you can't do your, you can't complete your TCP and you just have to respect that, well, 
it might rain for five days and we have to go with plan B, which is the same as plan A, but wearing a rain jacket. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a joke. But sometimes you really do have to change your plan. You just, you have to accept, you know, she talks about kind of the, the cycle of it. And there's, there's a cyclical nature, but there's also an unpredictable nature, uh, an unpredictable aspect of it where you just have to accept that it's, you know, that cycle's in charge, the, the weather's in charge, whatever it is, is in charge. And you have to, the only thing you can, I know we know this, but the only thing you can control is your attitude and how you face it and how you choose to accept that challenge. So I think that that is, um, one of the words we use in outdoor education is natural consequences where, you know, if, if you don't set up your tarp well, or if you don't put your rain jacket on or something like that, then you're the one who's going to be wet and cold and you, you don't get to blame anything else. You don't get to blame the fact that it's raining. And so having this like really learning how to take responsibility for yourself and take responsibility for your well-being and take responsibility for your attitude when when conditions are tough and also take responsibility for how you interact with others you know you can't just regress or blame or be in a bad mood when the weather is bad and learning how to perform because of not not in spite of I think is um is important and and it sounds like as I as I hear you describe that experience of having to relinquish some control over over your your own life, which I know to be just as someone who goes to Cooper's Rock occasionally, uh, to be really wonderful, mm-hmm. um, and it just feels good to be able to do that, mm-hmm. um, as well as to be in a space that's so much bigger and so much older and so mysterious. Um, but it it sounds like that's something that people take with them that that you we, we, you know that these experiences last beyond the afternoon that you spend at Cooper's Rock or the week that you spend somewhere else, that those are things that you can carry forward into your life. Yeah, that's, that idea of transference is is one of the most important parts of outdoor education and, and our programming is taking the things that you learn in this novel and challenging environment and putting them into your everyday life. So when we're talking about it's going to rain for five days or you don't know how long it's going to rain or it's hailing or whatever it is, uh, that I think one of the, the things that's most empowering and challenging about um, some of our kind of more intensive programs is you wake up in the morning and to, to some extent you don't know what's going to happen that day. You know your TCB, you know your time control plan, you know your route, but there's so much that, that you're not in charge of in being able to find joy and find a good time and find success, even if where you ended, you know, 12 hours later is not where you expected and how you got there is not how you expected. Yeah, you know, I think that we're used to waking up and like, yeah, you know, there's definitely lots of unpredictable things that happen during the day. But for the most part, I got my Google calendar. I got this podcast thing at 11. I got to go to lunch at noon. Like you, like, you, you kind of know how your day is going to flow. And this, like, I know when, whenever I leave my house for a trip, my feeling is I close my door and I say, I will be back here in X amount of days, whether that's one day, two day, eight days, 21 days, and I will somehow be different. And I don't know how I'm going to be different. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what that difference is going to be, but something is going to be different. And that is scary and exciting. And I think it's why we keep coming back. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear you because I know that, that you, you not only you've read the book, but it, you like the book. Yes. But one of the first things you said to me in here was that your response to the book, as someone who works outside and and work and leads these trips, was was not what I expected it to be, which is that it would that that it that that your understanding of the book would be framed by 
your experiences out, of the outdoors. So I prepared these quotes that were all about, you know, nature is sublime and, you know, there's a sense of sovereignty that comes from life on a mountain, but that what you responded to in the book was a little bit different than that. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. What kind of, how you understood her education, her development as a person because of because of your work. Yeah, definitely. So I think what you're getting at is I responded primarily to the book as an educator, not kind of as an outdoors person. And there's, there's you know, beautiful passages about the outdoors. And I just talked about how I, I, yeah, I think I've, I resonate with, with a lot of that in a lot of ways. But what, I mean, the book is called, it's called Educated, and I think, you know, going back to that misconception, misconception about adventure, I didn't get into adventure programming because I'm like, woo, adventure programming. I love the outdoors, but I love education. I love having transformative experiences or providing transformative experiences, and I found that the way that was most meaningful for me to do that was working as an outdoor educator. But if that had been an art teacher or whatever it is, I would have done that. I come from a family of educators my brother's an educator. My mom's an educator. It's, my brother and I are like at the opposite end of the educational spectrum. My brother teaches Latin at a prep school in Los Angeles. And I teach outdoor education in West Virginia. But <laughs> I mean, like that's the opposite, mm-hmm. right? If there, if there was an opposite, I think that's it. There's um, nothing more bookish than <laughs> studying Latin at a prep school. It's true. <laughs> but But we're both educators. And so I think that when I interacted with the book, it, it, it spoke to me in a lot of the ways of you know, why I sought out not just education, but kind of, but a meaningful education, a a way that really changes who you are. And I think that a lot of what, what I got out of it was her, both kind of as an undergrad and then kind of traveling to different places through graduate study, how interacting with different places and interacting with different people and just kind of um, being unmoored, but in, in a way that is I mean, and not always positive for her, but this kind of unmooring effect of the, the way that I understood the world is perhaps not 100% correct. Uh, I think that, that that is really important. And in a positive and supportive way, I, I do think that's one of the things that outdoor education does is it puts you in a small group of people, people who you don't know before, people who you might not otherwise interact with, and you have kind of a series of challenges with those people. And so you, you tend to see those people differently, people who you might not you might not otherwise interact with, or in high school you wouldn't have been friends with, and then you are friends with them because, I don't know, something's different, something changed. And so that bit of kind of, <laughs> I'm laughing to myself, what we always say is we put these people in like this black box and we like shake it up for a week, and then on the other side, like they've had this amazing experience, and you know, what, what goes into that black box is kind of up for debate. We can maybe cut this part, I'm all <laughs> tangent here. But it's putting people in novel environments with people who they didn't know before and giving them kind of meaningful things to do together. I think that that changes people. And I think that we see that um, throughout the book, Tara Westover's kind of perspective on, on the world and her family and herself and relationships with others. Like it changes because of being part of an educational system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that kind of decision, that kind of leap, that amazing thing that got her to go to, um, go to college and, and go beyond, like that's really what changed her. And I think that that's, that's what I want to be a part of, and that's what adventure wants to be a part of. And we, we do it in our outdoor setting, but that is what we want to be a part of. Well, I want to say a couple things about that. One is that, first of all, it's, it's really nice to hear you talk about what you do at adventure as learning and as education and as teaching. Because one of my sort of secret hopes with this podcast, because I'm going to have guests from all around campus. I have someone coming from equine studies. I have an English professor. I have the curator of the 
uh, art museum, I have administrators and faculty, and so to, to show people the ways in which what, what we're doing in all these different ways around campus is, is the same, and that education doesn't just look like sitting in a classroom, and that's obviously one of the great sort of lessons from this book. Um, the other thing is, uh, there's a great scene in this book in which Tara Westover is at the University of Cambridge in England for the first time, and she and her fellow students from BYU have gone up onto the roof uh, of one of the buildings. This is an old Gothic building, and it's very windy, and all of the students are afraid that they're going to fall off, and so they're kind of huddled next to the wall in a corner, and Tara Westover, who is grown up, you know, walking across, like, I-beams in her father's scrapyard is not concerned at all. And, and, and she has a conversation with a faculty member about that. And what we don't hear about is the way that that experience is really profound for the people that she's with. It sort of confirms something about her, um, but it also, it, it's the kind of experience that you're describing in which people are put, taken out of their comfort zone She's in her comfort zone up there, but there are also all these students who are taken out of that, mm -hmm. and that's probably very powerful for them, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can get a little bit more of the text before, before, we, before we wrap this up. Um, and, and I'll go ahead and read the next passage. So this is in Chapter 3, and she's describing her parents when they were young and when they first met. Um, and, and we'll get into her parents in, in later weeks. Um, but they're a very fascinating pair. And her father grows up on the mountain. Uh, her grandmother lives just down, the, just down the road from her. Her mother grows up in town. Um, and so the way Tara Westover describes their meeting, uh, her mother falls in love as much with the mountain as she does with her father. Um, or or, or to, to the extent that her father embodies the spirit of the mountain. And that changes... Tara Westover's mother. So this is a passage uh, from chapter 3. She says, There's a sense of sovereignty that comes from life on a mountain, a perception of privacy and isolation, even of dominion. In that vast space, you can sail unaccompanied for hours, afloat on pine and brush and rock. It's a tranquility born of sheer immensity, it calms with its very magnitude, which renders the human of no consequence. Jean, Jean's uh, Tara Westover's father, Jean was formed by this alpine hypnosis, this hushing of human drama. Such lyrical, such lyrical writing, and, and, and I love the way she talks about her father being formed by the mountain. And I, I also maybe wanted to say, and you can agree or disagree with this, Marion, but um, to me, she's describing uh, the, the act of reading as, as well as being on a mountain. For me, personally, reading is, is, a, is, is often a, a kind of a private act and a place to find privacy and isolation and to sail unaccompanied for hours afloat on pine and brush and rock. Am I getting is it is that unfair or or do, no, you, do, I, I think do you think that's, that's fair. right? Yeah. Okay. I do. Um, what what do you feel like she leaves out? I, I, that's another question I wanted to ask you, although I, I think we're about out of time. Um, 
in her descriptions of the mountain or her descriptions of her other adventures, did you feel like there was anything missing? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, I think the, the passages that you've chosen, I think a lot of the passages in the book are, do talk about, uh, the solitary endeavors in the outdoors. And I think that, I think the outdoors is a great place for solitary endeavors. And I also think it's a great place for getting to know people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that how, um, stripping away your connectivity and your technology and the things that can usually distract yourself with promotes, um, forming really strong relationships with people. I think that's, that's not really what her book is about. And so I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault her for that, but I think that from, uh, interacting with the outdoors point of view, I think that that, that relationship building aspect of it, when you take away all the, the noise that surrounds us on a daily basis, I think is really important. I think a, a lot of this book feels very heroic to me. Tara Westover struggles quite a bit in her journey away from Bucks Peak and into college and, and beyond. It's a very challenging experience. And again, it sounds like that's, that's what you deal with on a daily basis and why you love the work that you do so much is because of those kinds of challenges. And so I'm curious kind of your reaction to that side of, in the book. Yeah, I would say that challenge is definitely a core value of mine and a core value of adventures. Now, I think that one of the things I've said is that no one can judge what is a challenge for you as long as you're stepping up to the plate and challenging yourself. I think that that's great. I also think that I'm a big believer in the quote of, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's uh, bravery is not like not being afraid. It's being afraid and doing the thing anyways. And so I, I hear a lot of folks during their freshman year or sophomore year, junior year saying, man, I really wish I'd done adventure, but I was nervous to do it. And I think pretty much everyone who goes on the program, whether it's our summer programs or our extended programs, or even just signing up for a new program during the weekend, I think everyone is nervous. And that's great because you're in great company. Everyone who comes with us, everyone who does something different, everyone who leaves there, leaves Bucks Peak, um, goes to a new place is, is nervous. And I think recognizing that being nervous is, is part of it, that that's, that's, not, uh, that's not telling you not to do it. That's telling you this is different. And you have to be open to that and stepping up to the plate and doing the thing anyways. I have a, I have a five-year-old daughter and sometimes she gets scared and I tell her that's okay. Do the thing anyways. So trying to teach her. And I think that it's inspiring when people do things that are, that are challenging for them. And I think we, we see how, um, for Tara Westover doing things that were challenging for her is, is really what transformed her. Um, And so I think that's inspiring. I think that we can all look to that. Definitely, definitely. My five-year-old daughter is just learning to ride a bike <laughs> without training wheels. Talk about taking a risk. Falls over and falls over, but she's finally got the hang of it. My daughter just started deep end swimming this summer, and she was nervous. Uh-huh. But one day she looks at me, she goes, Mommy, I'm going to go off the diving board without my floaty. And I said, okay. There's lifeguards. I prepped them all. <laughs> I was more nervous, but, but she did it. She just started kindergarten, and she's, she's awesome. Uh, Well, thanks so much, Marion. And before you go, I want to make sure that um, everybody who's listening and everyone who wants to get involved with uh, Adventure knows about any deadlines coming up or programs that they should know about. So maybe we could just end it it there. That sounds great. So our our soonest deadline coming up is our Adventure Costa Rica winter break trip. That deadline is September 8th. Uh, And then also coming up is our 
student staff application for summer 2020 for so those first year trips for summer 2020 which seems so far away from right now that is actually due October 8th we have that due so soon because all of our trainees take a spring class so we have to have our application and interview process done before we register for uh, spring 2020 classes. So that's October 8th. Um, those are both available through our website. For the student staff position, you don't have to have had experience. You don't have to have gone on adventure. We just look for folks who are you know, good role model, good role models, good leaders, and you know, it's like to step up to the plate and take a challenge. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast is a joint production of the WVU Humanities Center and the DA, and produced by Nick Kratzis and Savan Hunter. Copyright 2019.